The biggest tip I give to clients about improving their sex lives is to redefine what sex is to them. In today's episode, I'm going to explain what this means, why it's important, and how it can change your sex life. Are you ready to cut through the BS and get down to the truth about sex and love? Welcome to the Great Sex Podcast. I'm Dr. Heather England. I'm a certified sex therapist and a relationship expert. Join me for candid conversations that address what you truly want to know and answer your burning questions about love and sex. I want to empower you to ignite your love and sex life. Today, we're going to talk about intercourse and how it isn't the end-all be-all for sex. But before we begin, I want to thank those of you out there that have been faithful listeners and encouragers to me throughout this podcast journey. I'm two months into producing the podcast, and it's been a lot of fun watching my download numbers climb. I believe in the information I'm sharing. It's the kind of content I wish I could tell my younger self. And it's information no one tells you because we're all a little bit uncomfortable in our society talking about sex. So let's turn to the topic for today. And for those of you listening, I'm wearing a t-shirt today that says, sex is more than intercourse. And that's the truth. Today, we're talking about how we need to start recognizing that all sex is not intercourse. That's a bad model and it sets us up for lots of problems. I'm including some helpful resources in the show notes, so make sure you check those out. The idea of redefining sex can take a bit to get your head wrapped around, especially because of how we're socialized about sex in our culture. First, let's explore what we're taught about sex. In school, most of us were taught about sex being for reproduction, and consequently, sex equals intercourse. So think about what you were taught about sex. It was likely all about the biological functioning of sex and included some graphic images that made you squirm a bit, right? Think about that. You're in school, you're watching a presentation that a teacher's making, and you're just feeling a bit uncomfortable by what you're seeing and learning. But nowhere in any of that teaching was the topic of sex as an expression of love between two people or the concept of sexual pleasure. I imagine the reason we weren't taught that is fear. The grown-ups in charge were likely afraid that teaching about sex as pleasurable would unleash a torrent of teenage sexual activity. However, when we don't talk about the good parts of sex, such as connection and pleasure, we make the topic of sex taboo and filled with shame. And that's a shame. No pun intended there. I distinctly remember being taught about sex at school and how horrified I was at the thought of someone's penis ever entering my body. I remember running home from school on sex ed day and asking my mom if that was true. She was on the phone and she completely denied it. I completely thought for years after that, that that's not what happened in sex, that the penis never entered a female. And I was so relieved. So imagine what it was like for me in middle school when I finally learned the real truth. In fact, I remember in middle school, I broke up with a boy because he French kissed me and I thought it was disgusting. It was so sloppy. In retrospect, the poor guy was probably doing his best and he needed some coaching because it was really sloppy and spitty. Ugh, yuck. 
So this leads me to my question. How do most people learn about how to have sex, right? How do we learn about sex? Or better yet, how did you learn how to have sex? Usually when we're learning something new, unless we read about it or someone teaches us directly, we model what we've observed. So how do we typically observe people having sex? Well, Hollywood and pornography. And both show women having mind-blowing orgasms from intercourse. Think about images of people having sex that you've seen in movies or shows. Like in When Harry Met Sally, we all know that famous scene with Meg Ryan totally faking an orgasm. For Game of Thrones watchers, yay Game of Thrones, Egret is like transported into this incredible space when she's having sex with Jon Snow. It's, her face is just completely enthralled and peaceful. In Sex in the City, Samantha literally screams and then sings her way to an orgasm. I don't remember the last time I've actually done that. You? In Forgetting Sarah Marshall, they use over-the-top yelling during sex as a big joke. It's a form of comedy, and it is in many movies. None of this is reality. Okay, so now let's look at pornography. Pornography has its place, but we need to recognize that it's entertainment, not education. And it often shows women getting pounded, and I mean pounded, and sometimes by more than one person at the same time. And the woman always acts as if every bit of it is the best sensation she's ever had. Like she's so into the experience when really it looks pretty downright painful sometimes. So here's a scary statistic. Guess what the average age of first pornography use in the U.S. is? 12 years old. Whoa. Think about how immature you were when you were 12. I know I sure was. And these kids are watching it on their smartphones and on computers. And many of them are savvy enough to know how to erase their browsing history. But if the average age is 12, then that means that kids even younger than that are viewing pornography. A study on adolescent pornography use found that almost 69% of teens had indicated they'd viewed pornography. And one of the problems with pornography use is the development of what we would call a pornography-influenced sexual scripts. Those are fancy words that mean pornography teaches some people how to have sex. And it's definitely teaching them the wrong way to have sex because pornography is not the average person's sex. Usually the number we use for women who can orgasm from penetrative intercourse is roughly 30%. And I've bantered about that number. You know, I've started to change the number that I'm saying. When the research that came up with that number was analyzed even further, it found that the number was more likely around 15%. And there's some newer research out that shows the number to be more likely to be 18% for women. And furthermore, only about 8% of women can reliably orgasm from thrusting alone. So think about it. What we see is always intercourse and intercourse leading to powerful orgasms for women. But that's not true for the vast majority of real women. 
And what that ends up doing is it sets women up to fake orgasms, right? And it also sets them up to think that something's really wrong with them if they can orgasm from intercourse. No one teaches us that the way to an orgasm for women is through the clitoris. Imagine if that's what they taught us in sex ed. It would be a different story. Women would be a lot more empowered to explore their body and accept their body and know how to use their body for sexual pleasure. Did you know that the clitoris is the only body part we have whose only purpose is pleasure? That's right. That's all the clitoris does. For my religious clients who think sex should be about pleasing their spouses, I say to them, then why would God have given you a clitoris if they didn't want you to use it to have pleasure? So if you're listening to this and your partner is a woman, I want you to understand that the pathway for female pleasure is through the clitoris, not through intercourse. Now, this doesn't mean that intercourse isn't wonderful and doesn't have a special place in relationships. So I'm not down on intercourse, but I'm more up on having equality in orgasms, making pleasure for both partners in the relationship. And intercourse isn't the only way of having sex. And that's what our society sets us up to think. You can have sex so many other ways, orally or through touching one another or through using sex toys. But our mindset is typically that all of the things we do are foreplay that leads us to intercourse. And that's a really bad model. So many things can go wrong if you always rely on intercourse as your goal. What if one of you has pain with intercourse or one of you has erectile dysfunction or one of you has mobility issues and many sexual positions are uncomfortable? What if a male partner has peyronies and their penis is so curved that they can't successfully insert it? What if instead of calling it foreplay, we called it outer course, which is an umbrella term for any sexual activity that doesn't involve penetration? It's all of the things you do outside of intercourse, and those things can be your end goal. For many couples, outer course is the only type of sex they can have, and they're satisfied. If you can redefine sex to be anything that brings you sexual pleasure, then it can be outer course or intercourse. And it opens up so many opportunities for you. It can be so freeing to think of sex this way. And for many people, it increases their sexual frequency. So here's why this is important for you. Sometimes we might not have the time or energy for a longer sexual encounter that includes penetration. Or sometimes we just really might not be interested in intercourse, just like sometimes we aren't interested in other things. It helps you redefine sex away from intercourse only, and it has lots of positive benefits. My clients say that this completely changes their sexual relationships. Once they redefine sex away from intercourse, they say it frees them up and changes things dramatically. The female partner experiences more pleasure and is more satisfied. We increase the odds that the female partner is going to have an orgasm. Often, this can help increase desire and interest in sex for the partner being penetrated, which is often the female. 
The male partner will end up then feeling more desired when his partner is more interested in sex. And the male partner doesn't feel rejected if his partner doesn't feel like having intercourse. Couples tend to have sex more frequently when it's redefined away from an intercourse-only model. And that's a real positive thing for many couples because one of the biggest reasons couples come to sex therapy is because they have what's called a desire discrepancy. One person wants more frequent sex than the other, or they want a different type of sex. So redefining sex can help increase the frequency of sexual activity. It also helps couples to broaden the repertoire of sexual activities. And broadening sex and adding more variety makes it more interesting and more fun. I hope these reasons help you to understand the positives that come out of redefining sex. It doesn't mean that intercourse is off the table. It just means that a lot of other wonderful things are on the table as the main event. We covered a lot today. But I want to wrap up and encourage you to have a conversation with your partner about redefining sex. You can even share this podcast with them if that would be helpful to you. Sex should be something you both enjoy and you both want to do. Please let me know if redefining it improved your sexual intimacy. I love hearing success stories. And if you find this content helpful to you, please share the podcast and subscribe to it. I'm also curious to learn what you want to hear about. You can go to my website and learn more about love and sex, and you can submit a question you'd like me to answer. And you can also download my free resource called 69 Ways to Spice Up Your Sex Life. And that might give you some ideas for outer course. And as always, all of the links are in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening today. Until next time, remember, life is too short for bad sex.